Welcome to Commerce Growth Lab, the community for commerce strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Franco Variano. This season, the podcast focuses on speaking with some of the most interesting and successful trendsetters, entrepreneurs, and leaders in commerce. Together, we'll dive into their unique stories, experience their highs and lows, and gain from their insights and experiences as they continue to shape this industry. You know, I think a lot of people's requirements have really become more focused as people realize that it's bad to reinvent the wheel in e-commerce. Generally speaking, you need to operate within a certain boundary to find success for most brands. Today, we're chatting with Andrew Johnson, the co-founder of Rehash, an e-commerce agency based in Oklahoma City, and the creators of Rebase, a platform for growing your Shopify business. Andrew joins us to share his story, how he got into commerce, what it's been like building Rehash and bootstrapping their first product, Rebase, how he sees the commerce industry evolving, and a ton more. So let's get started. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yes, thanks for having me, Franco. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Super excited to have you on and get to learn more about you and Rehash and, and the brand new product you guys have just launched, Rebase, and, and what that's all about. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Sure. So I'm actually from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I've spent the majority of my life in and around this area. But I, I really didn't study anything to do with web design. I actually kind of studied more organizational leadership. I had a kind of a minor in law enforcement. I kind of was on track to maybe get a job like in the National Park Services or similar type field, but that obviously changed along the way. I got into web design, got on that track and never ended up using my degree actually. So That's pretty funny. So where did your passion for design, you know, come along? I'd probably phrase it even more like I have kind of a passion for building things. Um, I've always kind of had a builder's mindset from a young age, enjoyed creating things and, you know, the whole process of idea to product or, you know, I wasn't building products when I was younger, but I think that whole process always felt natural and fun and, and engaging to me. You know, things like every kid has Legos, but that was like my go-to toy. I, I always enjoyed those. And, you know, as a little kid, building my own little downhill racer with my friends and even into kind of adulthood, building furniture, just kind of small furniture. But I just always have loved building things. And I think over the years, that passion kind of helped me learn about design, learn about how choices you make can affect the experience, the overall outcome of those things. So I think as computers became more and more part of my life, a lot of that kind of passion for building and creating turned into digital stuff and kind of fell into web design and, and kind of learned about graphic design. But, I, you know, having not gone to school for it, I think those passions really came out of some of those type of experiences. Absolutely. That's really cool. And so, you know, speaking about building digital products and, and falling into the digital space, how did you really start your career? What were some of your first few jobs out of school? Yeah, so out of college, I, I kind of stumbled into a job at Apple Retail. I mean, this was pre-iPhone launch. So it, it's hard for people to kind of think back what that Apple Store experience was like probably before then. It was a totally different time in Apple. I and mean, I think for me, it was a really it was a really formative time that set a lot of things in motion. So I learned a lot of, about retail in general. Working at Apple, I had the opportunity to train new employees, to lead sales teams, learned a lot about selling product, building relationships, and, 
and out of that, it kind of sprung into a couple of key relationships, one with my co-founder of Rehash and a couple others that ended up being really my first web design job with somebody that I met while I was working at Apple Retail. So from that relationship, I had a guy ask me if I knew anything about web design and I had built a few websites just because uh, I, I, I kind of liked the idea. And that was back when iWeb was shipping with the Mac OS. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I know a little bit about web design. And so he kind of hired me on the spot to come be a part of his company. And from day one, it was really a total imposter syndrome experience that I had where my team lead on the first day was referencing all these tools in Photoshop. And I had no clue what their names were. I just kind of knew how to use them. That first experience was really a lot of learning on the job, a lot of late night reading of how to do different things in Photoshop. And, you know, that time in the web design world, it was really a heavy handed design experience. We hadn't made the transition to web 2.0 or anything. So a lot of what you're producing as a web designer was coming up with crazy textures and borders and shadows and all that stuff in design. So I felt like I was always behind knowing what I needed to know and really starving for learning more. But I think that really kind of helped me and pushed me forward as I was growing as a web designer. So count that as a blessing in the end. And that that job led to my second job. That was where I, oh, well, that first job, I was really just doing stuff in Photoshop. I never really had much front-end programming experience there. And then that, that second job that I ended up getting hired from there, I really kind of dabbled in both design and front-end development. I had picked up CSS and HTML over the years. And, you know, really that's where I kind of honed my craft as a front-end designer and interacting with clients and being able to take a set of requirements and deliver on them. So that second company was actually acquired by NetSuite. But before that, I, I was introduced to Shopify during that role. That was probably 2008. In 2009, I, I branched out on my own and, and started the company that would later become known as Rehash. Incredible. Sounds like an exciting time and, and you know, a, a really formative journey, I guess. And so uh, along those lines, you know, you just brought up, you know, 2008, 2009 and branching out on your own with Shopify and starting the company that would become Rehash. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, what it's all about and what really motivated you to start it at that point in time? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's probably twofold. One, you know, having had that background in retail at Apple, I kind of knew a little bit about some of those processes and some of those type of businesses. And I think I had spent the last three years learning about web design. And in that we came across Shopify, we had used it internally a little bit. It was really difficult to use back then. You had to download this app called Vision that, you know, you had to open up terminal and run all these commands just to get this fake Shopify store running locally on your computer. And it was just, it really was a headache. It was nothing like development, really anything I'd, I'd experienced today. But I really fell in love with just, you know, helping people sell stuff online. It, it just interested me a lot. So when I branched out on my own, it was originally just what can I do to make money as a freelancer? It wasn't around Shopify necessarily. But I think that was probably around the time that like theme forest type concepts were popping up. I was just noticing the potential for earning income from selling themes, selling templates. I looked into that and Shopify had just launched their theme store. So I decided, hey, let's give this a shot. I'm going to test out the waters. I spent probably a month designing and building my first Shopify theme and listed into the store. You know, from there, had a lot of success. I think I must have hit some notes with a lot of the, the merchants at that time. And, you know, I went from how am I going to make it as a freelancer to making good money selling just one Shopify theme. And it really opened my eyes to hey, there's a lot of potential here in Shopify and just selling themes at that point was as far as my mind had gone. I hadn't thought through what does a company look like built on delivering Shopify products to people or something like that. 
Absolutely, that's pretty cool. And so, when when did that shift start to happen? When did you go from selling themes to you know maybe doing a little bit more? So I think probably just through the notoriety of having a couple, you know, at the time they were best-selling themes in the Shopify store. I released the first responsive Shopify theme to the Shopify store. And I think through some of that notoriety, you know, just had a couple of merchants reach out and asked about custom themes. So that was really my first foray into working on a custom Shopify store for somebody in particular. And those were, you know, really small budgeted projects. I, at the time, kind of saw them as a distraction from my real money making. I was doing selling themes to people, but the selling themes also came with the caveat of supporting them. And at the time I was a one man band. So having 30 or 40 support tickets come in in a 24 hour period was crippling. So I was, I was interested in how I could kind of offset some of that doing custom design see like a pretty natural step. So took on a couple custom projects. And I think what's neat about that is uh, two of those three projects are still clients that we work with today. And we, we've iterated on designs and helped them launch other brands. So it, it's pretty cool to think back to that time and going on, gosh, I guess probably eight years working with some of the brands. It's been a pretty fun ride. So I think just from there, you know, as our skill set grew, as Shopify grew as a platform, it, as it attracted larger merchants, you know, our, our budgets went up, our skill set went up, the size of the projects went up, and which kind of, I would just say, kind of written on the coattail of Shopify, growing alongside it. And it's a lot of being at the right place at the right time and having the skill set that was needed or, or being excited to learn it quickly and apply it to, you know, what was really happening there because it was a lot of rapid growth, about five years there, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. And so I guess compared to when you were first designing those themes and getting some of those custom theme jobs uh, with merchants as the Shopify platform was growing to to where Rehash is today, what do you think some of the biggest challenges in the e-commerce landscape have been since you first started? So I think from a web development standpoint, it's gotten easier. You know, I think a lot of people's requirements have really become more focused as people realize that it's bad to reinvent the wheel in e-commerce, generally speaking. You need to operate within a certain boundary to find success for most brands. So I think before there was a lot of people wanting to, we just didn't have the track record of success. And I don't mean us as a company, I just mean the industry, the track record of small businesses launching their own stores and being able to survive. So it was hard to not feel like you had to overinvest or come up with some new concept to, I don't know, trick people into buying your product. So I think that's changed from a merchant perspective quite a bit. From a designer and developer perspective, it's, it's gotten easier from the tools that you're given. My first few Shopify stores, I was still testing in Internet Explorer 6 because there's so many people still using it. And I think just the way the web's progressed, it's allowed us as a business to be able to deliver quicker on products, be able to you know come up with solutions that apply to more than one client. So I think that's probably been some of the most felt changes for me personally in the industry. I think you could also probably look at it from the perspective of just the lowering of the bar where you know anyone can sell online now. And that whole wave of originally there being 10,000 Shopify stores or something, and now there's 500,000. And I can't get online today without seeing a brand selling shirts or mattresses or, or whatever. So I think just from manufacturing down to setting up your website, everything is just getting easier for merchants. So differentiating yourself, differentiating your brand, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that merchants find right now. It's not about how am I going to list my products on Amazon? That's one click with Shopify. You know, it's how am I going to build a culture around my product? How am I going to, you know, meet my sales goals? And what does that mean? And less about the technology and kind of those requirements, which is what it was almost exclusively focused on, you know, when we started out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And so, you know, as as the industry's evolved and as things have shifted, you and the team at Rehash have also, you know, started to launch your own products with with Rebase. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that's all about? A lot of that was kind of born out of the necessity of, of our own projects that we take on. So, you know, whenever we're quoting projects and knowing that there's certain functionality that Shopify doesn't have built in or isn't going to build in in the foreseeable future, but are really kind of standard still that merchants have to meet, you know, with their customers. It was tough for us to put our name and the reliability of, you know, the end product that we're putting out to other companies and their applications. So I think we looked at some of the basic ones that we saw the biggest need for from our own clients, the requests that we get during our projects, and then kind of looked at it a little bit from how many of these same ones apply to Shopify merchants as a whole and tried to roll those into one application. So instead of, you know, sourcing your contact forms and your store locator and your wish list and back in stock, all these other ones that we would count as key features as an e-commerce brand, sourcing those from four or five different developers and you know, there's four or five different copies of versions of jQuery being used on your site, all these different implementation methods. We kind of said we can do it better um, if we're in control of it. So really, it's kind of condensing down the most needed applications for the type of merchants and the size of merchants that we work with into a single admin they could manage in the back of Shopify, lightweight footprint on the in front of the stores, you know, that started a little over a year ago, building out those individual pieces to rebase and you know, now it's become something that we're proud of. And I think other merchants that we don't have personal relationships with also seem to find value in. That's amazing. And so what's it been like, I guess, over the last year in terms of building this this first version of Rebase or the version that you guys were comfortable putting out? What was the transition from consulting to sort of working on your own products like? It was tough from a just an internal operations standpoint. At that point, you know, your projects with clients are paying the bills. So anytime you're not spending on billable work is affecting the bottom line of the company. So I think there's just the logistics of we need to spend 50% of our time on something that's not making any of our money yet is tough to swallow for a business. But I think on the flip side, we were proud to bootstrap it, you know, be able to pay for all that design and development out of the projects that we were taking on and not have to take on investors or go a different route that some companies kind of are forced into. Especially with the size of the product that Rebase is, it's not just a, if it was just a, a drag and drop form builder, you know, maybe it wouldn't have felt so weighty. But our solution is the beautiful part is when all, all the pieces go together, whether we're talking about sharing data between different pieces or, or anything like that so you know getting to a point where we could launch it was a substantial mountain to climb for us because there was there was all these different aspects to it instead of you know maybe just one aspect so i think that was probably the the most difficult looking back on it but also probably now the most fulfilling to know that you know we were able to to do that without you know affecting our business in a in a negative way yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned, I guess, some of the close relationships, the clients that you guys have worked with, where based on some of their needs, you guys have seen the, the pattern of, of, of a product sort of emerge, which became Rebase. And so I'm guessing they were some of your early adopters. But moving beyond that circle of initial clients, what have been some of the early channels or tactics that you've seen some success with in terms of getting Rebase out there? I think that still the projects that we take in is probably our biggest win from a, a longevity standpoint, it seems. Clients that we know are going to be around for a year on Rebase. It's a little tricky to look at the metrics still on uh, this random store signed up, you know, but then you have some that fall through the cracks and don't end up using it. So it's really hard to know which channels to trust right now. But I think it's kind of a flip side of that is 
Rebase helps us when we're putting together proposals for our projects. It's kind of one more feather in our cap as a, an agency on we, we build our own products that are going to fulfill you know these different needs that your business is going to have on Shopify or Shopify Plus. So I think that's kind of been a funnel both ways for us, which is nice. Every project that we've taken on in the last year, that client is also a Rebase customer at the end of the day. So that's great. I think the other one really is just direct traffic from the Shopify's app store. I mean, that's where merchants are taught to go look for applications to solve problems they're having. So I think uh, it's been the, the other most consistent success point for us. We're still kind of connecting the dots on, you know, different ads, kind of the advertisement that we've been doing for Rebase and how that's really, you know, affecting conversions and not just people signing up, but people being there three months and six months down the road. We're still kind of in the early stages on some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. So I guess, like, what are the next steps for you and, and Rebase specifically as a bootstrap product, as something that you guys have built internally to support your clients that, that you're taking on and sort of continuing to grow that, that service side of the business? What does 2018 hold for you guys? We've already got quite a few projects on the book, probably as many as we care to take on for the first half of the year for client work. So hopefully, now that we know where that threshold is, we can you know be strategizing on when we're pushing out some of these new features we have queued up for Rebase. So I think one of the overall things that we'd like to accomplish is make it easier for other developers to use Rebase. Because I know, it, like we said, it's, it was a, a tool or a suite of tools born out of necessity for our, our own team. Um, and I think that there's probably several other, especially small companies that don't have great development teams that can produce Shopify applications. Maybe they're just a, a web design and development company, but they don't really get into the custom application world. Maybe Rebase can be a great fit for them as something they can offer to their clients. And so whether that's an affiliate program or something similar, I think we see it as beneficial to people. And obviously we would benefit ourselves if developers are using it for their own projects. So I think there's a win-win there that we can hopefully take advantage of in the first half of 2018 to get a program in place. So that's one of the high-level things we like to accomplish. All of our rebase components are built with React. I mean, it's one of the things that Shopify's been pushing. We've already aligned ourselves with we're going to produce products that fit that mold. And I think that is hopefully going to come and play more with Shopify, Shopify Plus merchants, and whether it be native applications on different platforms, but you know, setting ourselves up where we can take our data or our tools and provide non-web browser-based experiences for merchants to their customers. So I think that's really interesting to us. We're looking for ways to move quickly into that space. And I think you know whether we're talking about different types of augmented virtual reality experiences that we're we're seeing. I think that's kind of that journey we've we've all been through with with websites and then mobile websites. Just the in mobile applications, the bar being lowered. I think that's going to be lowered on some of these kind of alternative experiences. And I think it's going to have. And we're already seeing it. It has a direct effect on e-commerce brands and retail brands. So. We can use our, our talent and our kind of our history with the platform, with retail in general, to push into some of those spaces. That sounds super exciting. Well, well good luck. We'll, we'll definitely have to stay tuned and, and watch you know, how you guys continue to grow and, and all the cool things that uh, I'm sure 2018 will hold. Thank you. Appreciate that. So on a bit of a different note, I guess, in terms of running the company or, or some of the stuff that you guys use internally, I mean, you've mentioned frameworks and, and coding languages like React, but are there any other apps or tools that you've recently downloaded, again, either professional or personal for, for productivity reasons or entertainment reasons or uh, even inspiration? One of them might come to mind first would probably be Flow. It's an app that I guess would be from the MetaLab team. They're also known for, what is it, Pixel Union. They do 
really well known for their Tumblr themes and even do Shopify themes and applications now. But their Flow app is a project management software and we've recently transitioned to and uh, we really enjoy it since we have our own internal projects, but also client projects. It's been a good kind of halfway point where, you know, our developers feel comfortable for internal stuff, but, you know, our project manager feels great for interacting with our clients through it. So uh, that's something that we've added over the last few months. Um, so I'm excited about just for our team having kind of a streamlined communication, not just with clients, but with our own internal work uh, kind of all in one place. For me personally, Sketch is something that I've kind of taken on learning. I kind of grew up, like I mentioned before, in Photoshop. But I think Sketch has some things that are really interesting to me. Just the ability to go quicker from wireframes to finish designs, you know, improving my own workflows. That's kind of a personal challenge for me in 2018. And I'm excited about how Sketch can play into that. You know, just looking at the neat things that people have done, like Airbnb with their, you know, taking code and building design experiences out of code and vice versa. I just think that's a really neat space right now that I don't want to lag behind in personally. And I think our team can benefit from that, from defining just for some products that we know we have coming in 2018, being able to quickly make some changes in, in Sketch or make some changes through programming and produce some, some things for clients, for our own team to use is, is really exciting. So that's probably the two that come to mind the quickest. Absolutely. That's really cool. And I guess along those lines, either relating to e-commerce or product development or running a service-based company, are there any resources, books, blog posts, videos that you've recently discovered or keep coming back to and recommending to others who are just getting started, I guess, on a, on a journey, whether that's building a company or building an e-commerce company? Thinking from a merchant's perspective, I definitely think, I don't know if it's cliche to say, but Shopify's blog is it's really such an incredible resource for them. So I think until you've hit the bottom of the archives of Shopify's blog, I tend not to point merchants too far from that when it comes to, for some of our, I would say, kind of small to mid-level merchants in place. I think for something that I personally enjoy, a buddy of mine named Webb Smith puts out a newsletter. It's called 2 p.m. Links. And he's always really insightful. He tends to focus on larger players in the market, but also disruptive people focused in e-commerce, disruptors in markets. So, you know, he might have a topic on Amazon. He might have a topic on Taylor Stitch. I mean, there's just, it's pretty wide ranging, but he's always insightful. It's quick, it's to the point. Um, so that's one that I don't really subscribe to many other newsletters from individuals besides his. Some of the other ones are more design or programming oriented that aren't as exciting, but just more of making sure I'm staying on top of tools and things that I need to be learning. But the web's definitely somebody who sees things from a unique perspective and can step into you know a lot of different situations in e-commerce and offer advice or offer his opinion on it. And it's pretty valuable. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, I'm actually subscribed to that one as well. Have been for for a while, and it's 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 really good. So we'll definitely make sure that we link to those uh, so people can check them out. Sure. Yeah. Web Web's a good guy. I met I met Web when I was uh, doing some work for Uncrate uh, years ago, and he's a good dude. So awesome. And so we've talked about a bunch of interesting topics around commerce and entrepreneurship throughout the course of the episode. But do you have any final thoughts or words of advice to leave us with? I don't know. I guess from if it's uh, maybe entrepreneurial type advice, it's uh, maybe don't be discouraged by the process and by things not moving as fast or in the exact direction that maybe you set out originally. Sometimes not having a plan is okay. Starting something and doing it just to test your skill set is great. Trying to keep a positive attitude, not discouraged whenever you maybe haven't found immediate success with something or maybe your product doesn't sell right off the bat or you, know, you don't get that contract from a client signed. 
just a general word of encouragement that everybody in the industry has their ups and downs. And a lot of people who maybe you look up to or have found success, um, they weren't overnight successes. They've been doing it for years. Look at that as a challenge to be learning and be kind of acquiring tools and skill sets yourself that, you know, when you get the opportunities, you know, you can step in and step up to the plate and come through on them. So if I was giving advice to merchants, I would say don't try to sell a product or sell a service. I think try to solve a problem for people. The brands that we see having the most success are those that solve problems or solve perceived problems or add value to people's lives. And they don't don't talk at people, don't don't focus so much on the product that you forget the story, the how, the what, and the why behind it. So a lot of examples in that space, but very helpful if you dive into it and, and think through it. So that's very insightful and I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and being on the show today. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Commerce Growth Lab is recorded and produced by me. There's no massive team behind it, and so I'd love your help in growing the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and everything commerce-related by visiting our site at www.commercegrowthlab.com. Follow us on Twitter at commgrowthlab, that's com with two Ms, or join the community on Facebook at Commerce Growth Lab. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so thanks for listening.